My name is Steven. All souls call out for salvation. My name is Matt, and loyalty is its own reward. My name is Mike, and sanity is for the weak. And my name is Kurt. An open mind is like a fortress with its gates unbarred and unguarded. And that one is uh, my quote I chose today because we're going to have a lot of learning for me today, I can say with a straight face. Um, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Scattered Ice Podcast with the Scattered Guys. Glad to have you back. We're on a roll. Look at this. Um, we're getting back into it. Today's episode goes into. Horus Heresy. And for myself, we're going to start off with a little bit of learning, um, setting the stage. Steven's going to take us deep into the hobby side. Matt will get talk about the lore and how it differs from 40k. And we have Dirty Mike helping us a bit, a bit on the strategic side of things and what's changing there. Um, and then a bit of a fun, a different theme today. Everyone will present to me a um, one of their favorite um, legions, and it's going to be a sort of elevator pitch. We'll try to keep the keep it short and not uh, not let anyone take up too much time to give them an advantage. Um, but beyond going why'd you, into, why'd the you look towards my screen? Why'd you look towards my screen? <laughs> you said that, Kurt. Yeah, why, why do you always get a ramble? timer on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. I feel I feel personally attacked. A timer. You should be. get that out of here. <laughs> so a timer will be on the wall behind me, and we will allow each player to give me an elevator pitch, and I will choose the winner, um, the best legion for myself. So look forward to this one. A lot of content. Let's get started. Um, don't forget. Our Instagram is extremely active these days. Don't forget to come uh, follow us and find us on there. There's some uh, there's some fun tidbits. Hopefully someone out there in this world enjoyed it other than our uh, wives and girlfriends. We have a couple we have a couple loyal fans. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I mean they're all friends of ours uh, who either at least two out of three people in this group know. But uh, yeah, I got texted about it. The other day, so shout out to uh, Reed and Neil. Thank you guys Red for being. Rick. Thank you guys for being uh, great fans of the podcast. Thanks, friends. It's nice to know there are some listeners out there. Um, all <laughs> right, let's hit it. So, hobby updates. Um, let's talk about what we're getting into. I know it's been a busy holiday season, so some of us may have had a lot of time, some others not. Um, Matt, I want you to start us off. So in a strange change of fates, I'm going to be relatively quick so I can use that time on the back end because I got a lot to say. You don't, you don't get the bank. Do not time. get bonus. Oh, no. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let's all just calm down. Be cool about this. Um, but uh, so anyways, I am working on some horse heresy stuff. I've sent some pictures to the group. I uh, finished an Alpha Legion Praetor, and I'm working through a uh, Dark Angels Inner Knights Cenobium squad. So uh, those are really cool models, and I've got a lot of stuff to do. And I'm also just kind of reevaluating some of my 
kind of backlog and stuff. Some of my 40k things um, that have just been kind of sitting in boxes for a while. So, um, looking to see if I'm going to do something with those or if I want to offload some of that stuff just to not get out of any armies necessarily, but just kind of offload the excess. And then at the same time, as I was talking about in the pre-show, I'm starting to feel the um, the black power armor. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here, guys? Fatigue. 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 Yep. Yeah. And uh, and on that note, Stephen, I'm so sorry because I'm sure about into the like 15th Black Legionnaire all those years ago. That you were probably like, I hate this. This is terrible. And then when I told you I was going to paint all these different armies at different times and you realized they were all going to end up being black power armor, you were like, yeah, go for it. See how it feels. Yes, go ahead. No, honestly, Black Legion, it was the gold trim that was that hurt my soul. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at... Um, Possibly changing up one of my legions. Um, we'll see. Uh, it, it's a it's a maybe. I just I am really tired of painting black. So um, and I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of lost in terms of 40k. I know I've talked about that. It just nothing right now is kind of exciting me too much. Other than the fact that I know I want to play not only Horus Heresy, but I do want to play 40k uh, because it's it's fun listening to stuff going on in the hobby right now. And being like, oh, I want to get out there. Um, so it's uh, very likely, Stephen, that the Black Legion will actually be making an appearance uh, in the Whoa. near future. Um, but Abaddon I don't know. It, is good. So yes, yes, he's, he's very good. Um, but uh, how are Terminators right now? I don't care. Terminators will always be my favorite, no matter what. I don't care if they're <laughs> garbage. I'd still put them on the table and go, Lubrakow! But uh, yeah, I've got the 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 Terminators turned out amazing. So, um, yes, uh, Mike, did you know I have like twenty Black Legion Terminators? I didn't know how many you had. That's all right. Yeah, Max Lodge, send it. <laughs> just, just send it. Forget yep. everything else. Just yep. <laughs> deep Deep Strike Abaddon and twenty Terminators, and somebody's gonna die. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm not sure what's going on the rest of the game, but. Deal with this. <laughs> Parry this, oh, you filthy oh, casual. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that behind him? A storm raven. Oh, yeah, I bought a storm raven. Um, so I was on eBay, and it it was like $30 cheaper than I'd ever seen it. Um, and so I bought one of those off of um, a lovely gentleman I've been talking to in England. And by talking to, I mean he's messaged me saying it was going to be delayed <clears throat> but yeah um i bought one of those it doesn't it's just base coated right now in black so it could end up being anything um but yeah i have a uh storm raven gunship actually am i saying that right is that is it storm eagle storm eagle, storm eagle. yeah it's a storm mm -hmm. eagle no sorry it's a fire raptor gunship but I might try to change it. Oh, no, I don't think I can. Yeah, I guess it's staying as a Fire Raptor. But yeah, it's $209 on um, on Forge World, and I bought it for $175. So and it was built and everything like that. So it was, it was a pretty good deal. Nice. Um, so 
anyways, yep, that's my hobby update. I'll pass it over to you, Esteban. Alrighty. Uh, speaking of Terminators, I finished painting 10 Wordbearer Cataphracty Terminators. Uh, that was fun. Um, they were 3D printed, though, so a little, a little naughty. Um, but they're... The Wordbearer like, player you know, being naughty. I had oh, to, my. How in character. <laughs> exactly. It had to be true to character. Um, no, honestly, they, they looked a little different from gw stuff so you know different take on them um they're also a larger scale and i think they fit better with the new mark six marines um than like the old gw plastic ones but anyway uh painted those put decals on them weathered them i think i'll t i took some pictures out to put them up on the instagram um and also while i was doing that i was finishing up a a contemptor dreadnought with that has two plasma cannons because um yes. word bearers get the unique warp fire cannons um so it's like one less strength but you don't get gets hot and they are pinning so that's pretty good because mm. word bearers want you to be in close combat so you pin everyone and then you charge in yeah say, hello <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah contemptors so are always so cool they are apparently they're like dreadnoughts are like broken or scary in horror's heresy at least like i know was it fury of the ancients or whatever it is mm -hmm. supposed yeah. to be what was not, it the other day fun? i called steven to talk about some stuff and he was like surprise i'm bringing all contemptors <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh my just just 10 of the uh the the word bearers um What's it called, Stephen? Oh, the Mahardal. Yeah, the, just <laughs> the possessed uh, dreadnoughts, which is terrifying. Yeah, just bring ten um, of those and be like, "Well, <laughs> let's let's go." Oh gosh, I saw one of them on a. It was a horse heresy battle report. As a what's the what's the close quarter combat zone mortalis and this yeah. guy's word bearers. He's like, I brought one Mahardal and then like some other things, and he, everyone was like, "I'm worried about the Mahardal," and then like. I was like speeding through the episode and I was like, okay, there's a corridor filled with like Imperial fist breachers. And then I skipped forward and then, you know, they were all gone. And the Mahargal was just standing there. I was like, what, uh, what happened to all those guys? <laughs> what is it? The, uh, in zone mortalis too, you can do the one where it's like, you don't know you, you use like markers. It's like, uh, oh. fog of war. And so you use like markers for your squads or stuff, and until they have line of sight, you don't know what you're running into. So you could just like open a door and it just be like melee contemptor dreadnought, pride. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, I think I need to try that. Try that mode. That'd be really fun. So that's the zone mortalis stuff. Is like, I'm very much looking forward to that. Not of course against Stevens Galvorback or. M Mountain. <laughs> Whatever it is, dreadnought that Heard terrifies that dreadnought me. Dreadnought is busted because it can go through walls, which is like the whole thing about Zone Mortalis is like you're in rooms, and so it's just like you have to like tactically maneuver through these hallways and stuff. And this dreadnought's just like, nah, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Casper, the unfriendly ghost. <laughs> yeah, very unfriendly. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, that's that's all the hobbying I did this uh, this Thanksgiving break. Uh, what about you, Mike? Have you been up to anything? 
Not much, unfortunately. I'm still just kind of unpacking, getting set up. The shelves are set up. <laughs> so now it's just getting the models set up and everything like that. But it's kind of low on the need to live priority list, unfortunately. So getting through everything else and then we'll get set up there. Most of my consumption has continued to be the app. <laughs> and um, talking with Matt about just some different, you know, ideas as far as lists go. And, you know, I hadn't really looked into the Chaos Space Marine book in 40K until he was asking about it. And, and as far as ninth edition goes, I was pretty familiar with it in eighth. Played it a couple times, but the ninth edition stuff is really fun. So they made some really cool changes with that. So that is exciting. Chaos is getting some love. Um, two wounds, uh, finally. Yeah, <laughs> um, finally. And, and then that uh, that power armor buff still works on them too. Um, yeah, there's some things that you know everybody knew was going to happen because they kind of happened in Thousand Suns and Death Guard as far as like demon engines are concerned, but. It's very nice. Marks of Chaos mean something again, so I'm very excited about that because it's just... I love, like, theory-crafting lists, um, and they make it fun again. <laughs> Rather than just, like, a Mark of Chaos gave you maybe a stratagem you could use. It's now, like, I know it means something on your data sheet, so that's awesome. I'm really excited about that, but um, not much actual hobby progress yet. Um, I am going to try and start <laughs> being more deliberate about it, Um that and playing games in a new city need to make friends eventually my wife and i are just gonna roll up to a game store and see what happens <laughs> yep. that's the plan awesome. <laughs> how about you Gert? what's going on with you not much on the hobby front over the break here as well i've been running around texas um back in <laughs> back in our state now most of us are here um but spend a bunch of time with friends and family here. I'm living out of a suitcase for the time being. Um, I was thinking, and this is, I'm just kind of um, commandeering my hobby update time, but I've always considered this podcast as a 40K podcast. Do we have an identity crisis now with Horace Heresy? Is it is it a Warhammer podcast now? I think it's always been a, like, a tabletop like a like a nerdy podcast because i mean we've talked like we've talked a little bit like dungeons and dragons and um like i think steven and i have talked a little bit about age of sigmar in the past um so i think i think it's safe to branch out i mean and that's that's my humble opinion but um also doing a heresy podcast is like i think mandatory in the year of 2022 so <laughs> checking that block on our way to fame. So yeah, we're not exclusively tied to it. Yeah, I was curious because I think we also have talked about the Middle Earth game. At least I've asked about it on this podcast mm -hmm. before. Because I know yeah. Stephen has, or your brother has, some of the models. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, a lot of them are monopose, but they're it's it's Lord of the Rings. What what's not to like? Exactly, and right. it's the good Lord of the Rings too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, more on that later. Um, I actually, I actually bought some Lord of the Rings stuff. I ended up returning it because it was going to be an entire um, army of Forge World like models, and they all had long spears. And I already broke a sword on one of my Dark Angels, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to just permanently be, you know, water bending models back <laughs> into position." So. <laughs> 
uh, maybe not. So I ended up returning them. By the way, Forge World will do returns if you can provide the shipping information, a receipt, and it's all still in the box. So, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, of course, they did lose my package for about a week, which terrified me. But apparently, just went to like the receptionist, just put it at the front desk or whatever the shipping building is in Kentucky, I think. So, anyways, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I've watched the. The Fellowship and the Two Towers these past two nights, and my wife and I are supposed to watch the third one tonight. And of course, oh. it's the extended editions. I don't know if we're going to fit in four hours. Oh, no. And so, Just leave this call right now. It's not important. Right? <laughs> they're they're incredible. Yeah, and they really and are. So great. when I went onto the the Games Workshop site, I saw the Middle Earth tab, and I'm like, mm. It'd be fun to poke Is, around there, especially after watching those. Has she seen them before? Yeah, yeah, she's seen before. Okay. I think this is like my third time doing the extended positions. That's good. Um, That's good. It's they're glorious. I, I will say, my wife and I, like, and my wife came in. And she's like, I don't want to be the like the boomers, and like just be hating on the new Netflix series or not Netflix uh, Amazon series, just because like we watch the old stuff, so we should at least give it a try. And we got like. 30 minutes into it, and she's like, okay, let's turn this off. Oh, no. Really? I loved it. Really? I, was like, I watched yeah, the first uh, one. It was pretty good. Uh, so, the... I don't know. It just didn't... It, it didn't give us the same feeling. Um, and... Now, remember, she and I have read both of the books. Like, yeah. I've read the simul- Similarian, and um, we are, like, hardcore Tolkien... Tolkienites and stuff. Um, I think one of the problems was is that like we were reading about it and we saw everything and we were actually really excited up until they had like an interview with the writers or something and it was like, well, we didn't get what you call the rights to the story. So like we just started making things up. And at the same time, there was that whole thing about like Henry Cavill leaving The Witcher because he kept trying to be like, this is not what's in the books. And the writers were like, shut up, we do what we want. And um, our Lord so, and Savior Henry Cavill. Yeah, the emperor. <laughs> the emperor has revealed himself in Henry Cavill. But uh, so it was like all at the same time of all that stuff going on. So I think that I think writers taking good stuff, which is why personally I hope Warhammer never goes like super popular, unless it's given to like someone who like it stays with GW because I feel like if they give it to someone, they're just gonna. Anyways, I've hijacked Curtis's hobby thing. Let's go back to the Hobbit. I mean, the the Lord of the Rings miniature game. It's great. They just came out with new stuff. <laughs> oh, they did. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to click that tab. I tried to restrain myself to stay focused. Um, I'll, I'll poke around later. I don't want to push my bandwidth too hard. But I still need to watch that um, the Amazon series too. I watched the first one. It was good. I've heard it starts kind of slow, slow, then it gets really good. So I've heard good things. It's on the list. Be more tempted. Um, that's that's all I got for my update. Let's let's get into the main topic here. So we'll kind of consider this as really three rounds. Um, each of y'all will introduce your corner of the Horse Heresy series. Then everyone will go through and talk about their favorite traitor and loyalist legions. And then at the final round, each of you will pitch 
who you think I should, um, who I would be most interested in, who I should choose. And so you need to take keep that in mind. You know, you're not you're not trying to convince Matt to buy an army. That's almost too easy. You're trying to convince me and what I might like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do we just like hold up <laughs> different colors and like look, Matthew, blue? And he's like, "Oh, ultramarines. Yes, I should do ultramarines." <laughs> I trusted you with that knowledge. You know, <laughs> you know, I feel my I almost got ultramarines. <laughs> but in my defense of the ultramarines, and Mike can can back me up. I literally one of our friends used to just be like, call me Gilliman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is fair. Although, with how you have converted so many people to the hobby, I think we all know who you really are. Gosh, now. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and start then. Um, yeah, can you set the scene for Curtis? I don't think he really knows all too much about the Horus Heresy. So, Kurt, do you remember our Primark discussion? All those episodes ago. Vaguely. Okay. So pretty much the at the at its basis, right? In the in the lore is um you know, forty K is happening in the forty first millennium. The Horus Heresy takes place in the thirty first millennium, so it's thirty K. So it's yep. more or less exactly ten thousand years between the events of the Horus Heresy to where we are in the current 40k setting. And so um why it's such a big deal or at least it was when they first started coming out with this stuff is um I, I mean first like in Star Wars, you know how like originally the Clone Wars was just a like a small line in the script. That's essentially and then they made a movie about it, you know, 20 years later or something like that that's kind of like what the horse heresy was, was when they were writing the original lore and like, I think maybe second edition, there was just a small paragraph about how the chaos space Marines, the Imperium had gone through a civil war and the horse heresy. And it, that was it. It was like just a paragraph. And now it's become this massive thing. And basically in the timeline, you know, about, I think it's a couple hundred years before, yeah, it's a couple hundred years before the Horse Heresy. The Emperor rises up on Terra. He unifies Terra. He brings Mars into the fold. He gets a hold of Luna or the Moon, conquers the solar system, and then he raises up using all his resources now the Space Marine Legions. And he's got twenty of these guys, and then um, they're supposed to be led by one of his quote unquote sons, um, the Primarchs, and something happens. I won't go into too much spoilers. And there's also a whole bunch of stuff with that. We won't go into right now, but the Primarchs get lost. And so he launches a great crusade to unify all of the lost small kingdoms of, you know, pockets of humanity in the galaxy and then conquer the rest of it. And then along the way, they find the Primarchs reunite them with the Legion. And then they all keep going on this great crusade. And um, the Imperium is really prosperous and they're preaching the Imperial truth. And Kurt, I know you know a bit of in, like the 40K lore with all the religious stuff. But at that point, mm -hmm. 
they didn't have that because the emperor was walking around telling people, I'm not a god, don't worship me. And they were like, that's great. Except for Lorgar, who was like this eight, you know, this 16 foot golden being who changes shape and is essentially immortal, um, is definitely a god. Um, but more on that later. So pretty much he's going around doing the, oh, I only believe in science um, thing. And the Great Crusade happens, which I believe is a hundred years. I think the Great Crusade is a a hundred year span of time, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then essentially towards the end of that, um, there's a big battle at a place called Ulanor, uh, which would be later renamed Armageddon. Um, <laughs> more on that later. And the emperor has this big thing and gets all the primarchs there. And he's like, all right guys, so this has been fun, but I'm going to go back and do some, some dad work back on earth. And I appoint Horus to be war master. He's going to lead everything while I'm doing my science project back on earth. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. And so he goes away and Horus leads the great crew, the rest of the great crusade. And it's at this time things start getting a little wonky because there's some jealousy that Horus was chosen over other people. And that's when um, Lorgar does his full-on worship of the Emperor and then he gets his hand slapped and the Emperor is very mad at him. And then he does his little walkabout spirit journey, finds the Chaos Gods and then decides he's gonna... And actually Erebus really starts all of this because, you know, he's Erebus. And so that all happens. Long story short, Lorgar and the word bearers turn Horus traitor and give him over to chaos. And then he incites rebellion within some of the more disgruntled primarchs. And then some others are corrupted in different ways and become, you know, easy and such. And then Horus does what's called the Dropsite Massacre, where he rebels and they kind of trick all these other loyalist legions to coming and trying to, to, you know, fight him and capture him or kill him. And, uh, that's when the traitors all turn. And so they massacre the Raven guard, the salamanders and the iron hands, and they kill Ferris Manus, the primarch of the iron hands, which is really sad because he's, he's like, he just gets killed right out the gate. And so there's like little to no story development about him kind of like okay well he's dead and then um it kind of sucks for the iron hands because they don't really get any other character development on a major scale mm-hmm. and they've kind of been forgotten by gw on forge world and stuff like that so it's just like their character is angry and then all the books every time they have a character they die angry and everything so uh the, the horse heresy goes on it culminates in the siege of terra and eventually Horus is destroyed, spoilers, and the Emperor is interred on the Golden Throne. And then that's kind of the catalyst for how the Imperium starts to decay at that point from going from a, you know, society trying to better itself to a society that becomes stagnant and just trying to survive. Um, and... So the events of the Horus Heresy take place in about a 10-year span of time, and that's what you're focusing on in the game, is all of the different battles, whether it's a small one or um, one of the la- like massive one that's written about in the book and stuff like that, 
that is what you're playing. And so why it's so popular is you get to play as these awesome characters who have all these great developments and get these awesome books written about them and who are these like mythic figures in 40k. So like all these people that we grew up hearing like, oh, this is a legendary person and all this stuff. Boom. On the table, you can play as that person. They're awesome. They've got all these cool things. Um, and then Mike can talk on this later, but it's also super balanced while being super fluffy. Um, and I won't say it's a perfect game, but I think it's super easy for GW to make all the stuff feel like it's supposed to on the tabletop while not like having stuff hit the table and people being like, well, this is unplayable. Um so that is the Horus Heresy. Does that make sense, Kurt? I know that was a little yeah. bit long-winded. No, no, I do get it. it, it so every, it really does focus on those 10 years, like that's the turning point, the, the major yeah. moment in Horus Heresy. That's not like 40K, right? They're, they're, we... No, because you're like, in 40K, you're, oh. you're, you're kind of playing in this like endless perpetual like right. battlefield, you know? In, in Where is his war? Yeah, in 30k, this is a, you're fighting a civil war, and you're either saying like, "Hey, remember in this book, like, you know, Stevens got word bearers. So if I had done ultramarines, I could have been like, "Hey, you know, we could play like we're you know, like we're fighting battles uh, on Kalth, and that whole battle in the books takes place over a couple years, and there's like three books written about it." And so it's easy to be like, okay, we can we can design a map that looks like the caverns in Kalth, and we can do all these th- cool things. You can kind of theme your force around that, and you can, to an extent, you can do that in 40k too. But what I, I you know, I'll open this up to to Stephen to kind of talk on the hobby side is it's almost more like historical gaming than 40. It's historical gaming in a um in a fantasy sci-fi setting um, in that, like in the books, they've got these things called the black books. And let me see if I've got one. I do. So I have one of the ones um, and you can see on my camera, it's like leather bound. It's got these metal little things here and it's got like, this is all lore and some rules, but like literally these are just pages and pages of lore about a single campaign more or less and then infant like information on the legion legions and stuff and so like this picture of a night lords it's got an entire paragraph dedicated to the just this one legionnaire and like what what chapter he was in and what markings they would have and what battles they took place in and all these other things so it's it's very very detailed and stuff like that um so you're you're fighting in the past if you're looking at it from a forty forty k perspective. All right. Um, All right. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. That does does paint the picture. Um. Okay. Well, let's let's go over to Mike then to to hear kind of the rule side. So, it, it's not it's a whole different rule book. Is that right? Yeah, so like it doesn't just immediately cross over. You can't take your 40k book and go play Horus Heresy. Um, there's some things that'll make sense. A lot of the stat lines are the same stat um, as far as movement, weapon skill, ballistic skill, wounds. Um, however, they are treated differently. 
Um, honestly, it's a little bit more complicated, um, but once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy. Um, so for example, in 40K, a ballistic skill of three, just three plus, just means if you roll a three plus, you hit when you're shooting. And it's a little different in 30K. You kind of got to reference a chart. <laughs> so if your ballistic skill is a one, you need a six to hit. Um, and only a six. If you need a two, you need a five up. And it kind of just works that way down. Ones are still always misses. Six are still always hits in that sense. Um, because even if you have the lowest ballistic skill, a six is a hit. So a six is always a hit and a one is always a miss. Um, but it's just not, the number on the sheet is not the number you need to roll. You have to know the table. Um, and it's kind of easy just to think of it like if you, whatever your weapon skill is, um, you know, it's just work your way back. One equals six, two equals five, three equals four. Um, and so what you'll see a lot of the times, um, because a, a big difference in 30K to 40K is that it's mostly Space Marine versus Space Marine. In 40K, you have all of the other, you know, the Eldar are much more prominent. All those Xenos, there's no Tau in 30K. There's really no Orcs in 30K. Um, you do have kind of like the imperial guard equivalent and you do have the mechanicus equivalent there are chaos demons um and knights but you don't have a lot of the other stuff and so like you're generally speaking head-to-head -head space marine to space marine so that is kind of your baseline standard whereas in 40k uh theoretically the space marine is a step above the standard a normal dude has three toughness the space marine has four um and so Generally speaking, a normal dude should shoot better or shoot worse than a Space Marine. So you see that with Imperial Guard um, versus a Space Marine in their stat line. Whereas in 30K, you're mostly doing Space Marine versus Space Marine. So it's a much more often a 50-50 because everything is equal. And you see, and it's, so it can be a little bit confusing if you're only coming from it from a 40K standpoint. Um, but what they do is they kind of make these nice charts. <laughs> and if you can like follow the chart, it works really well. Another good example is the wounding. So in 40K, if I'm going to wound something, um, it's just my strength versus their toughness. If my strength is equal to your toughness, I need a four up, that 50-50, because we're equal. If my strength is higher, but not double, then I need a three up, because it's slightly easier than 50-50. And if my strength is double your toughness, I need a two. Um, that's the best it could get because once again a one is always a fail um and it's very you know it's very similar in 40k in 30k in that sense that the it's a part in the book where it'll have strength and toughness so you're just like okay my strength is four i go over to your toughness of four i need a four um but the the difference where you really feel the difference is more often than not you are playing against somebody that is just equal stat line um, so more often than not, you're relying on fours when you're playing Space Marines, which anybody who's a 40k Space Marine player is like, no, threes and twos. My characters hit on twos, my Space Marines hit on threes. Not the case in 30k. My Space Marines hit on fours <laughs> because they're playing very equal, so it's very 50-50. So you can kind of feel that dynamic. Um, and it sounds a lot more complicated than it really is. Once again, like it's hard to translate it just all words, but if when you sit when you're sitting there and you got the little cheat sheet, you get your little chart right there, it's very easy to follow along. Find your strength, find their toughness, 
same with ballistic skill. Um, and then they do have a lot of different rules as like add-ons, I, I, I think is that, or like adjectives <laughs> to their rules that I would say. So a good example is like a, a, insta a weapon might be, oh, what's the unwieldy? So like when you're looking at your weapon, hey, I think all thunder hammers, big two-handed hammers, they're unwieldy. They're big, they're heavy, you swing slow. Um, so that that means is you fight at initiative one. Um, and that is the, I think, biggest difference between 40k to 30k is combat. Not shooting, but melee combat. Um, you fight, in 40k, it's very much everything that charged goes first, and then you alternate. In 30k, there are different initiatives phases within it. And you're, that is a different stat that you have on the 30k sheet. So a, a space where you might have initiative four. So that means they will start and fight at initiative four in the combat phase. Everything that is initiative five or above goes first and can kill those space marines before they get to go. Um, so quite often you'll see primarchs have, I think it's like six or seven is kind of the standard for primarchs. And that means generally speaking, they're going first, <laughs> unless there's another primarch. Because they're the bigger, they're the better version. Um, but, but if you have something that's unwieldy, It'll just say on the data sheet, Thunder, Hammer, Strength, times 2, AP, whatever, damage, whatever, unwieldy will be in the description. And what that's telling you is you fight at initiative 1. Whatever your initiative is, it doesn't matter because you have that big heavy weapon, you fight at initiative 1. So that adds this whole extra complex layer to combat that you don't really see in 40k. Um, and it, it can be very, very critical because if things at the same initiative... You have to obviously take turns on who goes first, but all of it will be resolved. So if I have my Space Marine, my squad of five at initiative four, your Space Marine squad of five is at initiative four, you go first, you kill all five of mine. I still get to resolve their combat because they have the same initiative. So it's, it's just like, it, it makes it real kind of tactical in that combat sense. When you're looking at initiative and stuff like that, and so it does make it very interesting. But I feel like and that, that, and then like that means that like you have to be really careful about your charges, because like I think in in 40k, if you if you try to bank on like okay, as long as I get into combat, I'll be good. I know I'm going first. Yeah, but Ex yes, this is like going oh, <laughs> I'm going to charge my guys into this Emperor's Children squad, and it's like yeah, and then their whole go. rule is like they always go first or something, and you're just like Ugh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, it's, yeah, it's definitely a pretty big factor, and so you'll see things where it's like in 40k, like Thunderhammers are great because yeah, you, know, you might you may have minus one to hit, but there's a lot of ways to get around that. In 30k, it means you're fighting last. So if you're not confident you're going to survive that combat, then that's an issue. And where it gets even more complicated is if you have a squad of five, four of them have chain swords, and one dude has a thunder hammer. The thunder hammer fights at initiative one. The other four fight at initiative four. Um, and so it can get yeah, it can be a little challenging um especially uh, and i i mean i could go into just all of the differences in rules but i think one of the other big things to know is that the uh templates still exist um, so flame templates blast templates um they even <laughs> included kurt in the starter set they even include a little red <laughs> the little red the red stick <laughs> uh nice we can smack each other with it they're going back <laughs> to the heyday <laughs>
And that actually, so 30K rules originally were based off 7th edition 40K, which is right before 40K streamlined their processes um, to try and cut down on game time. 30K was like, nah, 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 we're good. So that's <laughs> so. So, Kurt, that would be more akin to like what you were used to playing in yep. back in middle school. Right. It, well, exactly what Mike was describing with these charts and kind of the backwards <laughs> numbering system and all this. I'm like, that's exactly what it used to be two editions ago. Like, that sounds very familiar. So I guess they so, made the yeah. historical game, you know, air quotes, and now they're giving it the historical rules. Um, a little bit. Interesting. Like, so armor values are a thing where you can have like a different on a vehicle, like a rhino tank will have a stronger front armor value yeah, than it does on the sides or the back. So yeah, exactly. So it's just like and a Curtis, lot of things you're actually. Yeah, Curtis, you can you can I'm have very a very well giant, prepared for this. Yeah, Kurt, you can have <laughs> a giant tank and have it lose all its weapons and mobility, but not die. <laughs> Steve, for for Mike, for your knowledge, he brought the first time he ever put his bane blade on the table. That happened oh. to it, and then oh, no. the twelve year old he was playing just didn't touch it the rest of the time and made it sit there. <laughs> just let it sit there and burn. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of differences between 40k and 30k, and I think that's just the biggest takeaway: is it's it's not the same game. It does play very differently. It feels like a very different game. Um, but, you know, I, I have a, a good friend, uh, my best friend, he, he's a big, bigger into 30K than 40K. And he is, he'll tell you every time, and he's a pretty competitive guy, and, but he'll tell you every time that the thing about 30K is it's a story. Every game you play in 30K is a story. Um, so while it's, and that kind of goes to what Matt was talking about with the lore and the historical setting, but like you can be competitive in 30K and all that, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're playing a story and you're just using some dice to tell it and make decisions. Um, and I think that's a, the other big difference when you look at it, it doesn't have the competitive scene that 40 K does. Um, that's just not what it is. And you know, maybe someday it gets there. Um, I don't think that's anytime soon, but with the way games workshop is transitioning and supporting 30 K a little bit more at the same time, they're transitioning and supporting competitive a little more in 40 K who knows? I can't tell you what it'll look like in 10 years, but I, I will say for now, it is a storytelling game with a very good rule set that sounds complicated, but it's not that bad. Um, and it can be a lot of fun once you really get into it. Would you say it's it's more story-based because all the models are very similar stats, and so the game is ultimately down to more luck versus what kind of units you're fielding? Yeah, yes everything no, has the same there's... stat, the dice matter more. <laughs> True. Um, and your decisions is like positioning and stuff like that matter. Um, there are things that are still just better. Um, there's no getting around that. Um, but it feels much more deliberate. Um, for example, uh, in 40k, because sixes always hit and a six always wounds, um, it was actually very terrifying when they switched to that because 30 orc boys would just throw up some guns, some pistol shots. And suddenly your knight just lost like six wounds because six is always hits and six is always wound. <laughs> and it's just like that. What? What? Because up until that point, if your toughness was higher, more than double the strength of a weapon shooting you, you just can't hurt it. So all those strength four pistols weren't doing nothing to a toughness eight vehicle or an armor value like 11 or whatever. 
And so now in 40K, a six always hits and a six always wounds. And so it's a very different game. But in 30K, it's much more deliberate. You need dedicated anti-tank. Otherwise, you will not be able to kill a tank. But at the same time, that squad will get just bushwhacked by anything with a sword. Um, and so, like, it's very, like, there, you, don't, you don't see a lot of, like, multi-strength things. Um, I actually just and, saw someone complaining on a, um, I, it was on some Reddit group. Um, the 40 I, last cannons? No, well, no, it was someone. Oh, that's that's amazing. Is for the forty last. <laughs> that's awesome. No, someone. Um, it, I might have done a little st- internet stalking, and that person was very much into competitive forty k, which, like Mike said, is very different from thirty k. And so they, this guy made a meme, and it was like me playing forty k using tactics and everything like that, and then thirty k players just pushing you know 20 man blobs of of infantry up the score uh, up the table and like and then people were like you know what is your problem he's like no you got to you got to find the one elite unit and just spam that like what's up with all these troops and everything and like that is that is the thing is like people talk about oh you didn't bring a balanced list like no i just uh, i found this one thing and i wanted to take it it's like well you didn't score any points and you lost the game like yeah. you can't you cannot be that swingy which is fun to hear going on to the 40k stuff more on that later but um yeah it's it's very different in that sense as well and like i i would say that the the more balanced approach and and the larger infantry squads i think that's another reason that it feels like a historic game uh <laughs> it's just another example of how like it feels like that where it's if you think about it from a lore standpoint, a Space Marine chapter is like a thousand people um, mandated. And so it is very deliberate. They had small team tactics is the whole thing. Uh, in 40K, uh, one thing you know we didn't really touch on is the legions are hundreds of thousands. So it is just massive. Or in 30K, legions were like hundreds of thousands of Space Marines. So the whole point was that, like, it's just war and, uh, you know, the ability to just commit to do war on mass scales. So you see these giant squads of Space Marines. Like, literally in the rules, in 40K, you're maxed out at 10. But in 30K, it's 20. And that's just a, a way that they highlight that. Like, it's, like, it's men it's, squads. It's just a lot 10, more. Men, yeah. I think men squads are 10. Yeah, and in 30K, in 40K, it's 5. So yeah. it's it's very different in that sense as well. I mean, I could go on forever about all the differences in rules and the gameplay, but that's the big ones and some a uh, couple extra bonus. <laughs> <laughs> all right, awesome. Thanks, Mike. It, it definitely sounds. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the seventh edition. Would we would that be taking us back far enough? Um, it is seventh, it and it is slightly familiar. different. Yeah, and I one thing I should mention. I hate to jump back in, but. They did just release Horus Heresy 2.0. So essentially they are in second edition of Horus Heresy now. Wow. So it isn't, it used to be much closer to seventh edition, but they have made some tweaks. Um, the biggest change was the psychic phase, but there were some other things that have been kind of tweaked out of the game as well. Um, so it's not perfect, but it is still much closer to seventh than ninth. Nice. Uh, one of, you know, two of my favorite rules or things I really liked from, from seventh edition were. Last templates and side armor. Like it was just, it was very strategic to be able to like, you 
know, deep strike in or outflank and shoot the rear of a tank. It just felt so cool. Um, and that you had to position your vehicles so that they were they were safe, depending on your armor out on um, to use blast templates and destroy entire units if they don't if people don't space them out enough as they walk. Um, I, know I irked Matt quite a few times with that because he would just like scoot them all together with you know put a circle around with his fingers and move them forward so that they it was easier to move, but then you could fit them all under one template. It was incredible. So you know, I, I really enjoyed oh, those rules. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt, just remember sc- that scatter dice are back as well. And watching yeah. Kurt go oh. goody goody, a mat squad, and then scatter his his cannon shot onto his own guys, and be like, no. That's <laughs> part of the fun, and that it um, makes... and leadership leadership actually means something in this edition. Yeah, thirty k. So it is. I've been watching a couple battle reports and watching like remembering like okay this squad has this flank and then having them flee off the board like you know what i like that this is back but also i remember being like no <laughs> been burned by the these rules before hey. all right let's go into the phase here um of the intro steven are there differences on the hobby side of things yeah so you know sort of has um Matt and Mike have alluded to there's more of like a historical feel to it so what you end up seeing in the community is a, a lot of really dedicated players um who want to make their like their guys you know like very unique like accurate to like a book that they read or like Matt was showing that big black book like a unit from a certain campaign um so people really like to go in depth and put all those minute details into guys um as far as it goes for like the model range you know in a word it's like the same but different so you know you got your space marines um but they're gonna be you know older they're from 30k so you have older marks of space marine armor so they look a little different than they do nowadays especially with the new primaris stuff um but kurt you remember the guys who have like the bird beak helmets like for the space yes. marines, yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. They're like, also that's your mark. worst painted ones back then, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's like Mark Six, and that that pattern of armor like came out towards the end of the Great Crusade, and so, and it was mainly around during the Horus Heresy. But there's older marks than that, so you got guys who look like they're medieval knights with like you know overlapping pieces of plates. So you can get different feels for your army. So you can you know. Matt has Dark Angels, so he's really trying to make them like Mark Three armor, which is that interlocking plates. So they look a little bit more knightly versus like my guys. They're mainly Mark Six, which are like you know smooth flowing lines. Um, so stylistically, they they look completely different, um, and that goes into the whole lore of like what Legion had, what access to what armor type at a certain point. Um, like Horus famously, like, you know, he, he knew he was going to ha- start a civil war. So he was getting like, he was hoarding all the, like the newer marks of armor for, for himself, his legion and his, his, uh, future allies in the civil war. So you saw like the, you know, the loyalists trying to make do with what they got. And there's actually a mark called uh, heresy pattern, which isn't really an actual mark. It's just like an amalgamation of all the different marks of armor. Cause like, 
supplies were running so low that they were just like, okay, whatever. You get a beaky helmet, but you also have this like studded shoulder pad, and here's a gun from you know the Unification Wars. <laughs> Go at it. <laughs> so that you know introduces a lot of really fun hobby um, details when you're making your force. Um, but there's also like units that you don't have in 40k. Um, you know you have these older pattern or more like esoteric like patterns of um, tanks in the Horus Heresy that Space Marines use um, that don't really aren't really around uh, in the 41st millennium. Um, the dreadnoughts look a little bit different. You know they got the Contemptor dreadnoughts, which are you know relics in 40k, but like were fairly commonplace in the Horus Heresy. Um, but yeah, you know, people really put in a lot of effort to make their guys very unique. Um, I think, I mean, I haven't seen anyone playing Horde's Heresy in a store yet, to be honest, so I can't really say whether, you know, people are only playing games with painted miniatures. I know that's pretty rare to only have fully painted armies for any game system, but uh, I would like to say that, you know, it's probably a higher percentage of painted armies for 30k versus 40k. Um, I just because saw some is. pictures from my recent, uh, from the, the game store that I'm, I, I frequent. Um, and it seemed to be a little bit more of the, uh, like kind of a mix. I, I think you could tell there were some people who had been in it for a while. And so all of their stuff was painted. Maybe like one of the new plastic tanks was in progress or something. But uh, all of the all of the characters that have been out for a while, I think it's like, oh hey, these were my favorite guys, so I picked them up a while ago. So like, yeah, uh, they they had like a whole thing where it was like warlords fighting each other. So every time the warlords got into a duel, they took a picture and posted it, and all of the warlords were painted. Like there was not a single one that was not, and their bodyguard units were painted. Um, which is, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I did. Like, I'm staring down, looking at my pile of painted stuff, and it's it's the warlords and, you know, it's the characters and and the cool body bodyguard units. Yeah, that's that's another key difference, Kurt. Is that uh, until recently, 30k was basically only supported by Forge World, so it's all that really expensive resin. Um, like, you know, you're paying like uh. eighty dollars for a ten man squad, a unique squad of like a certain legion. So that factors into, you know, people are going to have smaller armies and maybe, you know, hobby a lot slower because it's so expensive. But, you know, I think it probably makes people more committed because you're like, you know, I just sank, like, all this cash on, like, 10 guys. I better paint them. <laughs> like, whereas, you know, you can get away with, like, having a sea of gray with 40K a bit more. But so, getting back to my point, uh, during the summer, I think it was summer, they started releasing plastic uh, versions of all the 30k stuff so it's a lot more accessible now and that's probably why matt's you know like matt said you're starting to see uh people with you know plastic armies that aren't painted and stuff just because none of these things have been out for that long um you know there's that hobby lag time where people had to put a, get, put together their armies and you know i i wouldn't have gotten to horse heresy if it was still all forge world it's just too cost prohibitive um and i don't like working with uh forge world resin in the first place so yep the the forge world resin it just like that's the whole reason uh i was just talking to steven about because i I think the the mark three for a lot of the armies i'm looking at and the mark four look a little bit better 
but I also know that su- like heavy support weapon squads and stuff are a key to the game, and I don't want to have to do the Forge World ones because they're the only ones that fit those marks of armor. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do Mark Six because I have the plastic upgrades for them, and I don't want to mess around with the other stuff. So um, it it's it's a pain. It is a pain. Yeah. So, you know, all in all, I would say, you know, it's pretty, you can, you can sort of do your own thing sort of with 30K. Um, there's so many, like, like Mike said, there's like hundreds of thousands of space Marines in the Legion. And so you can have unique squads. Like you can, you have a little bit of room to like paint them a little differently, but not, not a lot. Um, so you're a bit more restricted in that way. Um, but I I've been enjoying it. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't touched like 40k in terms of hobbying at all, really, because it that historical flavor to it is is a lot of fun, and you know you can you can sort of see the story coming to life as you're painting them. I think that the thing that's appealing to me so much is that the models are so like once again I'm, I'm I've always been a, a Space Marine fanboy. Um, and whether it's normally a loyal loyalist guy, but like whether it's good guys or the bad guys and stuff, the models like I really like the OK, here are my basic troops and they play slightly different from all the other basic troops. And then here are my elites models and here are my characters and stuff. And I like that. I've always liked that in 40K, which is why like I've always thought Dark Angels and Blood Angels, and like I've I've liked the specialist chapters and how they have. I, that's why I love the way Death Guard play in 40k is because they're set up like that. Here's my unique troops. They're kind of like other stuff, but just slightly unique. Here's my elite's choices. Here are my special characters. Here are my special vehicles. Like I love that self-contained aspect of the Death Guard. Um, even though I'm a germaphobe, um, I think they're a great army, and that's what I really like about. 40k is that you know steven and i and mike and kurt we can all go out and buy the starter box and if each of us pick a different legion that starter box is not like our armies are going to look completely different and play completely different just off of adding here's an elite unit here's a here's an elite a character and that like steven you and i could go both go in and play pride of the legion but our game, the game's going to go like, it's not just two people smashing each other, you know, like the game is going to be very different. Um, and they just look cool. They look what space Marines. I feel like are supposed to not like I have nothing on my armor. I'm as clean as a baby. Like I'm looking at these <laughs> inner night synobiums. They got a church on them. They're essentially a walking church. <laughs> like, and, and the gal Vorback, Holy crap. They look awesome. They look amazing. So. They're really big also. They're they're taller than the, the Terminators that I have. All right. Yeah, that's, oh. that's the hobby in the nutshell. Oh, it certainly sounds cool to me. I like the, the kind of the crusade aspect of it, kind of, you know, shouting back to the actual medieval time period um, references and the armor. That sounds really great. And, and just it mixes it up because yeah, I, mean, I don't have any space marines, but you know I they haven't changed much. They haven't brought back the long noses in so long, and so to bring back the bird beaks, I think that's a win for the hobby as a whole. Um, 
Oh, yeah, okay. really. To change my pre-planned pitch <laughs> as far as which Legion I'm going <laughs> to recommend <laughs> based on the bird beat <laughs> comment. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's not exclusively bird beaks. It's, um, you know, long extremities. <laughs> I don't know. We got to figure it out. Use your imagination. Um, so. I think we're uh, we're well set up in in the intro here. So the next big step here is everyone introducing their favorite legions. And so these are legions you're not pitching to me. It is your favorite trader and your favorite loyalist legion. Mike, we're going to start with you. Actually, um, I want you to to go through your two pitches. Or, excuse me, they're not pitches yeah. yet. Just your uh, favorites, your proposals. There you go. Yeah. So for loyalist, uh, definitely Imperial Fists. Um, so ever since uh, 40k was first introduced to me, I've always liked them the most, just from a lore standpoint. Um, specifically, some 40k characters. But getting into 30k, they have some of the coolest 30k characters too. Um, Stigismund um, is a legend. A monster. He is, <laughs> he is also on the tabletop like the only character that has a shot of going like toe to toe with the primarch um in combat which is wild um when you think about it i mean he's just such a cool model um dorn himself is i've always thought is just a cool cool character um his whole thing is siege he is can build the best siege defense and also crack any siege there is um he has a traitor counterpart um and that is yeah i was about to say we yeah. just lost the one iron warrior who was <laughs> yeah. listening to this podcast so Carabo <laughs> purdy is the uh trader equivalent and i if i remember correctly per Rabo could build his whole claim was he could build anything that couldn't be could build something that could never be cracked and dorn's whole thing was he could crack anything uh, but in the actual horus heresy their roles were flipped and so uh, the Imperial Fists were the ones called back to build the defenses around Terra and prepare for the siege. And I just always thought that was so cool. So if I had to pick a, a catchphrase slogan, it'd be build the wall because that's what they did. And then they held that wall. <laughs> and then, um, they've got some really cool character models, too, um, with the new plastic transition. You've got Fafnir Rand, who's a captain, a space ring and Imperial Fist space ring captain. Um, who looks like he should be a uh, space wolf because he's got a lot of facial hair and two axes, yep. but I don't care. <laughs> he's in yellow armor. He's an imperial fist, and he looks so cool. Um, so just uh, all around just great. Um, and, and and from a rule standpoint where they actually kind of show up, with the exception of Sigismund and his <laughs> legion uh, followers, um, the they were actually a shooting thing. The whole thing is a, a gun line. Like See, nobody is better with a bolt gun. That's the thing is that like their whole thing is like defensive and shooty and stuff. And I feel like at least with this part of the addition, they just came off as being very like, yeah, shooting's cool, but you could also assault. And yes, and I think the reason that every any horse heresy player I've ever talked to, it's like yeah, yeah, shooting, and then the glorious combat that is melee. Um, the <laughs> so I think that is just the natural Horus Heresy tendency is 
you're going to be in melee. You should be in melee. You should want to be in melee with some melee squads. So I think that's just the reaction there. And Sigismund is good for that. Um, and so are uh, in a Mastodon with his <laughs> mini Templar brethren and then just yeet it. <laughs> just let them let just murder something. Um, yeah, so Imperial Fist, the, the boys in yellow, my favorite. Um, on the uh, heresy side, Traitor Legion, I've got to actually dip away from Death Guard. Um, they're my favorite in 40k. But in 30k, uh, it is actually the Sons of Horus. Um, they are, I think in the books, just always displayed as so cool. There's a lot of focus, obviously, on Horus at the beginning, because you got to see his whole transition. Um, and so you get a real lot of development on all of the Sons of Horus characters. Um, they were originally the Luna Wolves, um, and then rechristened the Sons of Horus, and then once again later to the Black Legion. So in 40k, when you hear Black Legion, led by Abaddon, that is the Sons of Horus. Um, Abaddon was the first captain of the Sons of Horus, um, but when Horus was defeated, Abaddon took on many, he wanted to kind of like get rid of that legacy. And, um, and, and from a gameplay standpoint, their whole thing is they are the cut the head off. Um, there's a lot of like small team tactics that is Space Marines in general, um, but nobody like in the books has taken like the cut the head off the snake tactic to such an extreme as the Sons of Horus. It's our whole thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to do war, warfare, big, grand, planet-wide, but we're also going to take a squad of just Aaron and, and one of our captains and go just try and find the leader and kill him. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so their Terminators are really cool. Um, I think in lore, they were one of the first ones to really like jump on the Terminator pattern stuff. And then... Uh, their captains are all wild. Horus, uh, from a gameplay standpoint, he's the most expensive Primarch um, as far as points go. He's trade up a quarter of your 2,000-point list. Um, he's also one of the best toe-to-toe -to -toe with just about anybody else. Um, he is real good with... He's got his like World Breaker mace and then the claw, which later Abaddon takes. It's and his just, new model a, looks amazing. Yeah, it's just such a cool model. Um, every Primarch's got a model, um, and some are good, some are eh. Um, I would Woman. say that, especially the new... Yeah, I, honestly, Dorns isn't great. Um, but the... the he, he just looks angry when he's holding a big sword. Um, they all are on Hero Rock, so you can't fault any of them for the Hero Rock. Um, but the uh, the... The Horus model, especially the new one, is just it's just wild how pretty of a model it is and how cool it is. Kurt, you gotta look up the the Horus Ascended model that they just came yeah. out. Yeah. It looks amazing. And that's the whole thing, is he is the one chosen by the Chaos Gods, and all four of them support him, and he becomes this like crazy bloated uh with chaos dude. <laughs> and it's just so cool. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I can't talk enough about it. And so they were the Luna wolves and that's why you see the, the wolf cloak across the back. The mace is the, the whole biker. body. Yeah. The eye, um, that you see everywhere that later becomes the black Legion logo. It is the eye of Horus. Um, the claw, um, is what later Avadon takes. And then just like standing on the pile of skeletons, like he doesn't have a hero rock; he's got hero 
pile of skeletons. So that, that's what I was going to say. I, I've never seen a base with that many skeletons. Like, there's always like a few scattered <laughs> bones and maybe a skull or two. But geez, he's on a dumpster cave. <laughs> yeah. Like, God. That's yeah, where all the skulls for the it, skull throne are, ironically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, he's just such a good model. Um, and just the, the the Luna Wolves and the Sons of Horus, like the cool thing is you can play them as uh, loyalist. Uh, we didn't really talk about that, but the, you can play them as loyalist or traitor. Um, and so if you really wanted, you could be like, oh, this is the Luna Wolves before the they went traitor. And you could paint them in the traditional Luna Wolf scheme before the Eye of Horus and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that's on the table. That's an option. But just as a traitor legion, I mean, it is the first amongst what, like, Horus was chosen to lead the Crusade because he was the best of them. Um, and I know Matt talked about how there were some feelings about him getting chosen to lead the Great Crusade. But a lot of the times in the books, too, you'll hear from the other Primarchs who didn't have those feelings, like, yeah, like, if he picked this guy, I would have been pissed. But they picked Horus, so I can't be mad about that. Like, he's a good dude. And, you know, he went to be off to not be a good dude, but, like, it was just so cool. And, like, he goes toe-to-toe with an avatar of Cain. I'll never forget that reading that paragraph. Um, it's just such a cool model, such a cool range. My Big favorite Horus moment, to be honest, is the part where he's, like, receiving the briefing in um, Horus Rising. And he just comes in and like jumps up on the desk and is like, "Hey, this this is this sucks and is boring, but I appreciate you guys being here. You guys are awesome." And everyone's like chanting for him and stuff. He's like, "Okay, time for the boring stuff, but you guys are great." And it's just like a, I don't know. It's a it, being in the military. You see, it, yeah, it, it is. It is kind of a Wolf of Wall Street moment, but like that's also what kind of good leaders in the army do instead of the like, all right, we're gonna be here the next eighteen hours. Anyone sneezes. It's going to reflect. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so if I had to pick a catchphrase or slogan, it's cut the head off. Go for the head of the snake. Be done. Nobody does it better. Sons of Horus. Looper cow! Looper cow! All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Let's go over to Matt now. That takes away. All right, since I know that I'm on the clock. <clears throat> Let's start um, it right now. Oh, boy. Uh, so for Trader Legions, uh, I uh, first of all, I just have to say I, I love all the Legions. I think they're all just so cool. So this is this is kind of a hard one for me. I could pretty much find it a reason to, to like every single one of them. So maybe we'll do a breakdown one day. But uh, so the one I'm presenting today is the one I've started, which is the Alpha Legion. Uh, and that means that I am Alpharius, you're Alpharius, he, she, we, it, they are all Alpharius. Um, besides being a great meme, um, I don't know, you guys saw the other one, <laughs> it's like everyone's asking who Alpharius is, not how Alpharius <laughs> how is. Alpharius. <laughs> <laughs> um, so their whole thing is a lot of times, and I thought it was kind of different for me because I like the Space Marines, like Kurt likes to talk about my epic glass stands and all these, you know, bright colors and heraldry and stuff. And then at the opposite side is um, the Alpha Legion, and um, they are all about deception 
and like infiltration tactics. So while the the Raven Guard are about like, okay, I'm going to put a sniper team inside the the general's house, and that's how they're going to kill the dude. It like the Alpha Legion is, you know, thirty years ago they had a plant who then became the general, and then when the Alpha Legion showed up, the general like killed all the staff members and then blew up the house he was in, and it caused chaos. And then they can have a a few people like in in one of the books it talks about how they essentially cause a revolution by ascent by like half of the diplomats are their sleeper agents. And the other half, they all assassinate using their head headhunters teams, and then they just take over all the major like cities in like a single night. Um, but how it was like decades in the planning and everything. Um, also, I think, they, I think that's they, an important point because often they are called the sneaky guys. They're not actually sneaky. There's no. two other legions that are sneaky. They are just <laughs> everywhere. Yes, they are. Um, and like they're they have a there's a the book. Praetorian of Dorne um, is about alpha lead, like an alpha legionnaire, like teams of them. And it's like, it's almost like a Jason Bourne book. So like, <laughs> like literally uh, it talks about a shipment container of food getting dropped off in the Imperial palace, like in the city and how it like it, at a certain time, three weeks later after it's been moved several times, it opens up and like the walls of the thing are lined with gear and so the like the legionnaire wakes up inside of it and then like he has to like do something he has to say something or do something and it triggers like memories to come back and then it's like okay he knows exactly where to go and it, it i think he's like 30 seconds to breach this door and it, and that's it's just him going through and like causing chaos and stuff it, they do get a little funny with like they like implant people with different memories and stuff um and it once again it's it's like when you read books about them it's almost like a spy thriller and then kurt just for you like the i am alfarius meme is somewhat warranted like there's a time there's a part in the books where um dorn goes to meet alfarius and like they walk in his throne room with his bodyguard and like the guy on the throne Dorn just is like where's Alpharius and he's like I'm Alpharius and he's like no you're not and then he turns to the like one of the guards and is like you're him and then like all the guards do like a little movement or something and then he pops out um, and they all like they all make their faces look like him and stuff and they take on his behavior um, and to be fair they have an awesome color scheme that's really different and really unique um, they've got some cool models um, that are also very unique. I don't really think they translate well to 40k. Um, and then I will also say, having read probably about seven Primark books, theirs so far is the only book that is from the point of view of the Primark. All the uh, other ones are side characters talking about interacting with the Primark in like just a random campaign. This one is the Forrest Gump of books because it goes through and like alfarius is the re it was funny too because he starts off and goes i am alfarius this is a lie and then he goes through and tells you his story from like he was actually the first prim primarch found and um there's a whole bunch of cool scenes like he's responsible for the blood games and uh he's all these like other things that you've read about throughout 40k and 30k and stuff and it turns out like he sat in a meeting and was like, you know, it'd be great if Ultramarine symbol was a U. 
And they're like, okay, thanks. We'll take it in consideration. And like, that's why and not that didn't happen, but as an example, um, and, uh, there, there is a great book, which will transition to my other one where he's, he talks about how he, he was like just dressed as a normal legionnaire when the emperor found all the other primarchs and how mo- none of them noticed. And ex- except when he met the lion and the lion was walking around, just stared at him. And he was just like a random legionnaire in the crowd and the lion's just staring. And he's like, ah, crap. <laughs> um, we'll so, say that always threw me off. Cause like the other primarchs and, you know, I never really, until I like Googled it, that you could see them like lined up next to each other, like mm-hmm. height wise. But I was always like, aren't they like, two feet taller than the already like six feet tall, eight feet tall space Marines. Like, and some of them obviously stand out like Sanguinius because he's got wings like and like Vulcan's like a big dude. So I was always yep. just like, like, isn't he just like a head taller than all of his dudes? But the answer is no, he's like really short for a Primarch. So yep. like, and then he's got his like, twin that threw me off for the longest time. And then he's got his twin Omegon. So you have Alpharius and Omegon. Um, and that's the whole, they're the last legion, but they named themselves the Alpha Legion, which means first. And there's all these other things. Um, and they had plants and all the other legions, except for the Dark Angels, because they were too confusing. They were like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, but um, with all that being said, they're a cool legion. They've got cool stuff. And actually, they're unique Praetor, um, uh, Dynat. I, I can't think of his first name right now, has the coolest combo combination of weapons I've ever seen. So if you look him up, um, he actually has a dueling sword and a, and a small, like, personal thunder hammer. Uh, and one's called, like, the, the... Was it the Prince and the Popper or something like that? Um, or the Prophet and the Prince or whatever? But I just think that's, like, a cool combination to imagine because he's, he's supposed to fight with both of them at the same time, and in-game you can use both of them. So, um, think he's cool. And then going on to my Dark Angels, um, I've been a Dark Angels fan for a long time. Uh, it's a little frustrating to see right now because I like being the the, the special snowflake. And Dark Angels are generally not too popular, but in Horse Heresy, like they are the the bee's knees. So every every picture I see of a Horse Heresy event, there's all these Dark Angel players, and I'm sitting here just like, nah. so uh, how long I stay with them is yet to be seen, but they are pretty awesome and they are knights. They are, they are the defining space knights. Uh, so Kurt, if you're on, if you're on the website, if you look up the dark angels, like literally like knights of knights of the round table in space. Uh, and their whole thing is (laughs) secrets and secrets and kind of deception and more so of like, we're just not going to tell you guys anything. Um, I don't and want for this that, podcast to turn. I don't want you to this to turn into an old man telling you how to click through a website. How do I find him on the game? How do I click that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you got to go to um, go to uh, Forge World, Horus Heresy, and then okay. on the left side, go to Loyalist Legionnaires or Legions, and then just click on Dark Angels. Well, even even in the Games Workshop site, when you go to Horus Heresy, it's not. Oh no no. No, I know, no, the, I know you were Forge describing World. on Forge World, but okay. Yeah. I have um, to learn the, the layout here. Okay, yes, I know. <laughs> um, so their their whole thing is plasma and swords and stuff like that. Um, and they, like, 
they they just have awesome units and then their whole thing is that they don't have they have the the normal layout and then they've got the wings within the layouts and then you have the orders within the wings and stuff so it's and it, it goes in their lore about how it's always just like uh mike is a a mason but also a templar and also this and it it's very confusing but it's also very cool because it, it, you can stack buffs and then people do stuff and then honestly the wings are just uh, i love i love how they portray the wings in the few books that they're mentioned in um so in one they're actually assaulting a word bearer formation uh and the 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 commander on the ground is like a, a company commander or a chapter commander and he's like okay this is getting nowhere and he's like all right you know i know you know i invoke dreadwing protocols and like this random dude not random he is ferris red lost the dreadbringer um is like are you sure and he's like yes i do and they all like turn this thing and he's like all right everybody <laughs> he's in charge now and then they all just kind of break off and then it's awesome. Uh, one of the ships in orbit goes over and then turns into a gun. Um, and just because I was it. inverted. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, oh, and once again, it's just really cool. Um, and I actually the the Dreadwing, despite being a Deathwing fanboy, uh, the Dreadwing is probably my favorite uh, with their plasma flamethrower guys. By the way, interesting note on those plasma flamethrower dudes. They give them space marine cancer. It's like it's in the lore. Like space marines don't get ill and these guys just die. Um, but uh, all about them. And then another thing is because they're the first legion. Uh, we oh. lost Matthew for a second. Is it still recording? Yes, we're good. Okay, I'm still there. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, okay, still going, still recording. Awesome. That was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, warp beasts. Uh, yeah. The um. So their 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 whole thing is because they're the first legion. They are also good at they're. They're good at everything. They're not great at everything. They're just good at everything. So they can kind of do what all the other legions can do, just not in a like overwhelmingly good. They could just be kind of okay at it. Um, unfortunately, I'll say their downside um, is that because they don't have too much characterization, they just get kind of they just come kind of are like aggressive assholes, and like that's their whole thing. So like their special character, Corswain, he really doesn't have any characterization other than just being an aggressive asshole. Um, and the lion is essentially just an aggressive asshole. There's a great scene in um, Unremembered Empire where um, he, the lion is going to go talk to Sanguinius after the Night Hunter is attacked. And uh, the head of the, the guards, Azkelon, uh, head of the sanguinary guard steps in front of him and he's lost his hand and he's like, he kind of puts out a hand. He's like, and, and the lion literally says, um, get out of my way. You couldn't stop a Primarch with two hands. What are you going to do with one? And literally just like shoves this guy. Um, he threatens Gilliman, uh, with the whole, he's <laughs> like, insult me again, brother. And I will practically hit you in your, <laughs> in your theoretical face. um, so he has he has some of the greatest comeback lines, but at the end of the day, he's kind of like he's he is literally just an asshole. Um, 
So, um, but for being knights in space, they're they're pretty cool. So that is my spiel for them, and um, I'll hand it over to Steven. All right. Speaking of angry assholes, uh, <laughs> I'll be introducing the world eaters and their uh, primarch, Angry Ron. Angry Ron. Yeah, his name is their primarch is named Angron. Uh, but yes, Angry Ron, as people like to call him. So Kurt, no way he was going to turn out to be a bad guy. No, honestly, it's it shocked everyone <laughs> when he became a traitor. Um, the guy started to jump back crazy. in. Uh, one of the best things about the traitors, especially Angron, is like in the first book when it's like, ah, my loyal, all my friendly brothers. And it's Angron speaking. And everyone else has a normal voice, but it gets to Angron and Fulgrim and, and Mortarion, the ones who turn. And it's like, Angron, what do you think? Oh, I think I'm blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, well, he's definitely going to be a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy literally has implants in his head that makes him angrier and want to kill things. So. The butcher's nails, and he starts imp- putting him into his legion. But anyway, basically, these are gladiators in space, Kurt. Um, they're you, all. You remember, about... you're not pitching me, but this sounds nice. Well, I'm just yeah. It's, I'm broad strokes here because you know I want to <laughs> do the two armies I'm going to talk about. I want to do. I am not an expert on them, so I'm not going to pretend to be. Um, so the world eaters are basically gladiators in space. They're really, really angry all the time because they can't help it, because they have implants in their head that make them want to kill things. And so they're very up in front with you about their way of war. Um, All their unique units are basically close combat oriented. Um, They basically entirely went to Horus. Um, There were some of them who decided to be loyalists for some reason. I guess they could, you know, calm down a minute and be like, wait, we can kill our own guys if we if we stay loyal so some of them stayed loyal um they didn't last very long in fact they, I think did they lasted two sentences and then they yeah, got rough stomped <laughs> but i admire them i honestly i've thought about doing a loyalist uh world eater force just for the lulls um their colors are white armor with blue shoulder pads kurt um and you might know these guys <laughs> In 40k, as corn berserkers, you know the guys with the chainsaws. Yeah, this is them before they become yeah. fully devoted to corn, the god of all things red and war. Um, but yeah, so they're they're you know super traitors. They don't really care about anything other than killing everything that's in sight. Um, during the siege of Terra, they go full crazy mode. Um, Angron becomes a demon Primarch, so he's no longer anything like a human. And they basically are just unleashed onto Terra and are just a wave of angry, crazy maniacs murdering everything in sight. Um, so yeah, I mean, sort of simplistic uh, take on them. There, There is, you know, in the books they do a good job of painting it as being, like, tragic because you know, Angron really didn't really get a chance to be like a normal person because when he was, you know, all the primarchs were scattered throughout the galaxy, he landed on a planet where there was super wealthy people and they made all the poor people basically fight in gladiator pits. And so he was a gladiator the whole time. So he, and then he has this whole like Spartacus timeline where he like, you know, leads a revolt and all that. But 
basically he was just enslaved the entire time and forced to fight. Um, so it's sort of tragic um, for him and his sons. But to go to my loyalist, which is a, on a lighter note, um, I have the White Scars, who are basically the like Mongols in space, <laughs> like in very simple terms. They're led by Jagatai Khan. He is their primarch. And so he, he started on a planet called Chagoras. And there, there were these nomadic peoples, very much like the Mongols, who, you know, had warring tribes who fought against each other. And he united them all. And he, so he was the Khan of Khans, like the King of Kings. And so when the emperor found him, you know, he, he introduced him to his legion. And then they went out and started conquering for the emperor. And so their whole thing is high mobility and more specifically, lots of jet bikes. So all their guys basically want to be mounted on jet bikes. And so they have these massed like cavalry charges of space Marines on these super fast, you know, jet bikes that they're, that they're, that are the size of like a F F-150 flying around. Um <laughs> And it's awesome. They have like spears and they jump off of them and they're like whooping and hollering and like flying around with their swords. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Um, even the Primarch, Jagatai, he's, you know, he's like, he's a military master, of course, but he's also sort of like pensive and like, and like lighthearted about things. Um, when he's he's one of the primarchs who are there during the siege of Terracurt. And, you know, these guys are all about taking the attack to the enemy, and the siege of Terra is anything but that, but, like, trying to hold the line. And so during the siege of Terra, he's like, you know, enough of this sitting on walls nonsense. He's like, we're going to do something about this. So <laughs> previously in the in the siege, the traders had taken a spaceport, and he's like, you know what, we're going to take it back. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to take it back? It's like, get me every single tank you can find and i'm gonna get my entire legion and we're gonna go take this thing back and they're like well how are you gonna do that sir you're gonna get blown away by from orbit and he's like no 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 we're gonna have a giant shield above us and so they had this giant like orbital defense thing just on top of their forces covering them the whole time this thing is getting obliterated the entire time it's covering them <laughs> and then at the last second it crashes and they just charge forward and they take they actually end up like recapturing the spaceport and it's like one of the coolest things in the siege of terra so far and there's a big a thunder run in space, space. <laughs> yes exactly a thunder run <laughs> in space it it is it is literally the sci-fi <laughs> version of the ride of the rohirrim it really is <laughs> with yeah. like awesome heavy metal mongolian music like yes it is wolf, it is wolf totem by the who is playing constantly yes <laughs> It is a, it's a great, it's, it's also great because it talks, it tells the, the charge from the perspective of like the guardsmen and the Lehman Russ and they're like, this is a shitty tank. And then you just see these like Mongolians on bikes, like, Woo! <laughs> and they actually, they get a couple charges in during the siege. Um, they do, well. they do a couple sally outs or sally forwards, whatever the term is. Um, and yeah, they just, they're not, they're not idle. They don't want to sit around and do nothing. Um, also, just to to help Steven's cause here, there's a great scene in 40k where they're fighting the Tau, and one of the Tau command like they're they're getting beaten pretty badly by them, 
and they kind of do the same thing because they were like holed up in a city and they're like, nah, this is not how we do it. And they go and like hunt down the Tau and they essentially crash a Thunderhawk into the Tau camp and then ride out on like bikes and everything. And uh, one of the Tau like battlesuits is like, why are they using spears? And they look, and then as he says that, uh, the the guy jumps up on his bike, like stands on it as it's going, and then cocks his arm back, and the town's like dumb human, and he shoots it, and then the the guy jumps off three hundred style and Ugh. impales the commander, and he's like, Wah! it's it's awesome. Sorry, just had to fanboy for a moment. Sorry, no, Reed. I mean that's that's multiply Sorry, that by, multiply that by an entire legion, and that's the white scars in a nutshell. Damn. Okay. I wonder which one you're going to actually pitch to me. That one does sound pretty nice. Um, <laughs> all right. Excellent. Let's, let's do the final bit here. Um, the pitches. Let's go, let's go in reverse order, Steven. So actually, you're going to go straight into your pitch. All right. Start us off. All right, Curtis. Um, have you heard of Please. our Lord and Savior, Lorgar? So he is the Primarch of the Word Bearers, the one and true uh, legion, the only one that matters, the followers of the primordial truth, the true sons. So, okay. Matt referenced these guys a little bit as being the, uh, you know, the instigators of the whole Horus heresy. Um, and, you know, that's that's one perspective of it. But I like to think of it as a, uh, you know, they're bringing truth to the galaxy. They're showing that there are gods. There's four of them. And they have everything to do with the universe. And that's the only way you can go forward. So, as you can expect, the word bearers are uh, very religious. They're very devout with their uh, work. Um, you know, spreading the word of corn. Nurgle, Zinch, and Slanesh. Um, to the point where they're, you know, they're not they're not opposed to having a demon live inside of their body, you know, and borrow it for a little while, like a timeshare, you know. Uh it lets them, you know, spread the word of the gods faster that way. Um out surfing for demons. <laughs> <laughs> and to be exactly. honest. Lorgar, spoiler alert, Lorgar's the only winner. <laughs> He's the only winner in all of 40k or 30k. He's the only one who gets to sit back and like, yep, I did it. I mean, he got what he wanted. He got to the gods he so so dearly wanted to worship. Um, but yes, this legion is all about uh, chaos, Curtis. Um, they're like the OG chaos space marines. Um, even within the hobby, they're they're the most similar to Chaos Space Marines. Like my guys, it's it's really nice because I can use Chaos Space Marine bits with these kits to make them look, you know, spiky and like creepy. Um, they during the Heresy, once once the traitors are like revealed, they just go full bore and like aren't hiding it anymore. They repaint all their armor to crimson, um, and their new Legion symbol previously was like a book with a flame in the center of it. Now it's a book with a flame with a demon's head in the middle of the flame. So they're not, you know, they don't, they're not subtle about it. Um, but they're all about, um, in the rules, about close quarter combat, uh, getting stuck in, 
with their like unique guys like like we've talked about the Galvor back, the possessed Space Marines, and the like possessed uh dreadnought. Um and they also have another unique unit called the Ashen Circle, which are these guys with jump packs who have like sickles, chain blade things, and like a flame gauntlet. And in the lore they're all about like tearing down uh like other religions and like, you know, expunging it. And but now they're doing that. Exactly. Now they're just doing it for the you know, taking down the Imperium and the you know and the giggles. It. Yes. Replacing it with the true word. Um every time you're in forty K and you're like, Wow, things are really messed up here, you can be like, Thanks, Erebus. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Erebus was there the one of the chaplains who was like you know, after Lorgar was admonished by the Emperor for him worshipping him, he's like, Erebus is like, remember those old gods from when you were, you know, on your homeworld? And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about those guys. Like, okay, let's go to this planet called Cadia and uh, see what's there. And that's where he's introduced to the Chaos Gods. And Cadia is the same Cadia as the, as in the Eye of Terror bulwark. Um, but yeah, if you don't like, uh, you know, the emperor and his silly lapdogs, and you want to believe in true, the true gods, then you should be a word bearer, Curtis. They they got everything. What's not to like? You, your prayers will actually be answered. Excellent pitch, Stephen. Um, you're knocking on some of uh, some of the right, right doors here. I will say, as told later, at you're up. All right, Kurt. <clears throat> I'm going to win this, guys. Um, so on the Forge World website, I want you to go to the Traitor Legions, and I want you to click on the Emperor's Children. Done. Okay. You there? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see they're they're pretty flashy. They're pretty blingy. Okay. So these guys were the best of the best, and they were so good that the Emperor let them use his personal symbol as their Legion icon, okay? So let's just sit there and think about that. And then I'm going to take you out of 40K, Kurt, okay? Because we need to talk about Fulgrim's Fulgrim's and his Legion's demise, okay? Because all they were trying to do was better themselves. And I want you to I want you to take yourself out, Kurt. And I want you to think about have you ever been, whether it's school or work or a relationship, anything, right? Where you try really, really hard, right? You try to do something, maybe it's a work project or a school paper, okay? And you're you're so close to getting that A plus. And the teacher that you really like is just like, you know, that was a great paper, but it could have been better. And you were like, oh, I, I gotta be better. I can be better, okay? That drive is what fueled Fulgrim and his legions' downfall. And that's all they were, is we're trying to become perfect. All we're doing is perfect. We, you know, yes, we assaulted this planet and took 10 casualties, but we could have assaulted the planet and took only five casualties. We could be better. That's all they were trying to do is better themselves, getting perfect and perfect. And at the end of the day, what was their design? What was their their meant? They were meant to be killers. They're meant to be warriors. Now, when they started skinning people and gluing their faces onto them, and <laughs> loving that, uh, it takes a turn. Uh, look, people people aren't 
great sometimes. Is that a problem? No, they don't do it. They don't do it just for the lulls, right? Like, these aren't the Night Lords we're talking about. They do it because they become obsessed with it and physically have to, or else they'll start screaming. Um, <laughs> so eventually, Kurt, they fall to Slanesh. They fall to the god of excess. And I know a lot of people like to think about excess as, like, you know, gimp suits and nipple piercings and all the sexual stuff and everything. But really, when you think about it, it is, it is other than corn, maybe Slanesh is the easiest God to think about falling to because it's excess in anything. Maybe I'm going to have an extra 20 t- Twinkies with the one I thought I was going to have. That's excess. And that's what these guys do. And <laughs> the hunger, the I hunger, I buy one more box of space brains. It's okay. Yeah. I got to have yeah. it. It's literally, I don't have a problem. I just need more. And, and that was their whole thing is like, so they're, they're like upgrades, Kurt, you can give them in game is like, they would, they started grafting stuff onto them. Um, and so like, uh, for instance, if you uh, they they have a lot of like weaponized sound, which is where you get noise marines from. They originated with these guys. So if you look on their special units, the Emperor's Children Cacophony, those are literally pre forty k noise marines. They have the sound guns. guns. Um, and then if you look at Lord Commander Eidolon, he actually has speakers on his backpack because in the books he gets implanted with like these extra like sacks in his neck that allow him to like screech and stuff. It does not stop him from getting pajoned by Dorn on the wall. Um, but um, they are the, the other thing is these guys are I think they get portrayed especially with Fulgrim's model as these kind of like I'm going to use a word I don't know if it's the right one just kind of like hoity toity like oh the, the oh, they're almost like aristocrats right but like these mm-hmm. guys were these guys are good these guys are very very capable fighters and stuff and in game like um their their special units i'm pretty sure the palantine blades and the phoenix terminators i think they're i think they're in a bit of a weird spot cuz i think it's hard to get them from point a to point b um i'm not i'm not 100% sure on that so please don't quote me but like if they get into close combat it's a bad like bad things are going to happen to you because these guys weren't just the like, Oh yes, uh, bring me my tea and crumpets. Oh no. a war. It was more like, I'm going to go kill all of those people and then skin anyone alive. And I'm going to like have that. Um, and so, um, that is the emperor's children. I think they have a really cool aesthetic. I think the, the purple color and the gold really stands. Um, Shout out to my Hawk Lord's army, wherever they are right now. Um, and I also think that Saul Tarvitz has probably one of the coolest models, even though he does not live long. In fact, he does not live to see the heresy other than its first out start. Uh, he has probably one of the coolest swords in the entire um, game. So also, if you read the Ful- Fulgrim book, um, like the book Fulgrim, it is terrifying. It is like a legit, almost horror movie. Um, and it's actually kind of sad because there's a moment where Fulgrim realizes like, oh no, I might've messed up and took in this possessed demon sword. And then the sword's like, well, I just ate your soul and you're now trapped forever. So, uh, which is <laughs> yeah, too bad. No take backsies, uh, which is why, 
there's like a whole bunch of stuff where like Horace is talking to Fulgrim and like, you're not Fulgrim. And he's like, yeah, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> so um, there's there's the Emperor's children for you, Kurt. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. All right, Mike. Final pitch of the day. Yeah, after all of that heresy, I'm very proud of my choice now. I would like to take you to the good guys. Um, and after seeing the OG bad guy and then the creepy bad guy, I would like to turn your attention to the salamanders. Um, and while a lot of times vanilla K good guys is often referred to as the ultramarines or the imperial fists even, really, the salamanders are the actual good guys and the awfulness that is the Warhammer universe. They are, they're characterized by actually caring about people. <laughs> like, civilian casualties is a problem for them. Whereas a lot of people, even on the loyalist side, um, like Dorn thinks in numbers and statistics, he's like, ah, that's pretty good, only 5%. You know, the native population was murdered. Like, great, those are good numbers. Um, that'd be a bad number for Vulcan. Um, so they are really the goodest of good guys in 40k. If you are on the website, um, their models, you'll notice two things. Hammers, which always look cool. Thunder hammers, um, power malls of any kind. And two, <laughs> flamers. <laughs> so the salamanders refers to, uh, on their home planet, the fire drakes, essentially dragons that breathe fire, <laughs> and they were called salamanders. And so their big thing is hammers, because Vulcan was a smith, and fire, because <laughs> their like, icon breathed fire. So while hearing a lot about civilian casualties, they would also burn <laughs> a lot of places to the ground. It's a weird dichotomy that isn't, I don't know if it's ever fully <laughs> flushed out, but... Um, it's just from a model perspective, Thunder Hammers always look good. Their sp special Terminators, the Fire Drakes, are so cool. Um, when you want to talk about like nightly look with the hammers and the big round shields, and then just flamers and fire templates. Yeah, we've, we've talked how they brought templates back. You want an army that's going to use a lot of templates, we use a lot of flame templates and salamanders. I think they have a right um, so of war where you can take those special flame units as like troops. So like how take, yeah, the, the troop slots. But I think they get lined too. I'm not. I, I, once again, don't quote me on that. But pyro class. So like, I mean, they're just such like that middle. I think it's probably the pyro class sergeant with like a sword and a heavy flamer. Like I'm so on board. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and then the Vulcan model himself is really cool. And a lot of times, and I, I wouldn't say a lot of times, but with of the what is there 18 primarchs. Um, most of them are either standing over an enemy or a pile of skulls. Um, I think Angron is stand is Angron is also so Vulcan is standing over one of his fallen sons and avenging him is the thing. I think Angron is also on the same block as World Eaters, but I think it's because he just killed them. Um, so like not in a good way. <laughs> so like this is a good way to have. Was that a, a pleasant fallen. experience for anybody? <laughs> yeah. Whereas this one, it's like very, it's like a righteousness, like avenge the fallen son kind of a thing. So, uh, fun fact: Vulcan is also you know, all of the Primarchs have different tidbits of the Emperor. Vulcan is an Eternal. So there's been a couple times when, it, as in the way that he just kind of like dies and he comes back. 
Um, and there's been several times where he dies and then just continues to get killed uh, as a form of torture. Um, but he's a good guy, Vulcan. He just powers through. And, you know, one of these days he's just going to show up and he's going to save the day and it's going to be great. He does think there was even some <laughs> for a good period okay. of that time. <laughs> he did go a little crazy, but, you know, the, the, once again, that was the bad guy's fault. And, like, I th- wasn't there, like, a whole thing where, like, they... Like the the salamanders always looking for lost piece in forty k. They're looking for lost pieces of Vulcan's armor and stuff like that. And yeah, they hear stories. Um, They're like, somebody showed up and just wrecked all these orcs and like used a hammer and then he disappeared. And they're like, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, Vulcan Histan is the uh, I think was it uh, I forgot what his title is in forty k, but he his whole like the special role he has in the chapters. He just goes and hunts down the, there's like seven relics. I think the yeah, Vulcan left, like and they have four of them. They're looking for the last three. Um, but yeah, they're pretty badass. Yeah. So just very cool models, very cool, actual good guys, not some bad guys. They're like the closest thing to a good guy. That is the dystopian Warhammer. All there is more universe. So um, despite their, tendency to burn planets to the ground they also care about people so they're going to get the good guys out of there first and then burn it to the ground so salamanders all right excellent thank you mike i've been uh diligently taking notes um putting together a consensus in my head here and so let's start at the bottom um Matt, is it, wait, wait, is this like a top five? <laughs> also, I hate that you started with me, but <laughs> my need to be special also accepts this, so I'm okay with that. Is this, <laughs> is this a top five? Is this a top ten? Like, what are we, what are we doing here, Kurt? Oh, I'm just ranking the three pitches you just gave me. Going three, I'll start at the, I'll start at the bottom, and then, um, work my way to the top. It's just the just the three that you guys just pitched. So Matt, the Emperor's Children. The first thing I see when you told me to look at them is yes, your Hawk Lords. I get immediately flashbacks of an army come and gone in Matt's history. Purple and gold stand out, but they do look nice. They do have uh, they get some bling bling points um, on that pro side of things. Um. I do I do align with um, excess, and I, I like how they've. I, I can see the you could choose them uh, as excess eaters. Um, that definitely speaks to to some of the armies I have. You can put on some fun, uh, I don't know, cans of beans onto their base as well, and call them excess whatever you want. And the speakers, uh, I'd like that part a lot too. The speakers are great, but they're lacking uh, instruments. I don't see any electric guitars or anything like that. The guns are the instruments. But the yeah, the, the orcs of 40k they actually have guitars at some points. I mean, do they? Right? Have you seen the Goth Rocker? Yes, I have. Okay, good. That's what I'm referencing, I guess. Yes. And, um, anyways, great choice. Um, but unfortunately, we did not take uh, make the top cut, Matt. Um, perfectionist side of them. I don't know if I uh, am as big a fan of that. I was trying to better themselves. Um, 
not necessarily what I'm looking for in my 32 choice, but excellent proposal. Thank you, Matt. Try hard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next up. Numero two goes to Steven. The ward bears. Uh, as, as soon as Mike said templates, I knew which one you were going to choose. <laughs> yeah, Mike, it's all fun and games until he starts throwing <laughs> templates at you. <laughs> um, so the I, I love the ward bears um, being the IG. Um, OG, excuse me, not IG. The OG chaos. I, I, I'd like that they, they kind of tie into that. They give that historical... Um, kind of feel to them and then even more so the economical side of it if you have a bunch of spiky bits already laying around you can then use them on your current 30k boss so that's really great that you you were speaking with the right tongue there steven going after that unfortunately i don't have any spiky bits laying around um just a bunch of ig flamethrowers hint hint number uno um, (laughs) laying around um, but the war bears, like, I like the idea about the religiousness, they're obsessed with demons, kind of like this anti, um, but also pro religious at the same time going on, just absolute chaos. And then the jetpacks, I that was a big one too. So, overall, you know, nothing I don't like about them. Um, maybe just a little too few templates. Um, I think overall, you, there's no mention of blasts, no mention of flamethrowers, just jetpacks. Jetpacks did get some some wins fair enough but excellent proposal and so that takes us to number one the salamanders uh great choice mike i you know you kind of you were harping on the same idea as matt you know they're actual good people kind of like the emperor's children being perfectionists but i do like that you know that i originally chose chose the imperial guard when i chose 40k years and years ago and i like that they were know for the good of the emperor but i mean these are for the good of the people so that's even more um i love hammers um you, you really kind of hit, hit it there uh the hammers do look great but it what i think what took it was yes the the mention of templates the mention of flamethrowers mention of being big fire people um i i like them um and then the fire you know when i was looking at the images too i was pulling all these up and y'all mentioned it just the the fire um to the resin, get the flames onto the models themselves. That's pretty cool. And that helps also paint fire on the models. You don't have to try to draw your own flame. It looks like it's actually embedded into the model, so it assists um, with making the fire look good. Kurt, so, would, you like to, would you like to know the Salamander's war cry? Is it going to change my mind? <laughs> it's into the fires of battle, unto the anvil of war. Ooh. That's, that's pretty nice. So with that, then yes, they take So well, well done with your choice there, Mike. You know, I just I'm just trying to really join in and just <laughs> join with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> really, it comes from all my conversations with Matt about <laughs> if the, if if this person was a Primarch, which Primarch would they be? <laughs> if this person was a Legion, which Legion would they be? He has right, trained pretty well. much. On a monthly basis at this point. <laughs> All right. Well done, y'all. Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being pitched to. 
Everyone got to go buy job. a model. Yeah. <laughs> Vulcan only cost $115. <laughs> it, so are the are is the games workshop models that much cheaper than Forge World cuz those those are nuts like some 150 so yeah here's my thing it's expensive there are recasts you can do third party things you can print stuff um i see it if you if you just wanted to go through the source take it slowly you know yeah. buy your yeah. primark yeah. buy your primark for 115 but dollars it's going to take about a week and a half to get here and then Spend the next, take your time on it. Make it a labor of love. If you show up and you've got three, you know, stripes of paint on it or something, people are going to be like, what the heck? But you're like, yeah, it took me two months to paint this thing. And then when it's done, be like, okay, now I want to buy something else. And that way you're, bu- hey, you're budgeting yourself in both money and time. Um, and speaking for someone who bought way more than they are going to get to in the next 18 months, um, I could say that's probably a good way to start off in heresy. <laughs> you don't want your wall of shame full of heresy and be ridiculously expensive. Um, let's go into our corners. Let's finish it off here. Tie the loose end. So some short corners today with our hefty topic. Steven's hobby corner starting us off. Alrighty. Quick one for today. Um, so a lot of people, when they get introduced to 40K or any of the Games Workshop uh, brands, you're going to see all the paints that are in their stores, uh, their own proprietary prior, yeah, paints. Um, but you don't have to use those. Uh, and you can use a lot of different uh, companies' paints. There's some of the big ones that are out there are uh, Vallejo, Scale 75, Army Painter. Um, and there's... There's also artist paints that you can use as well. You can go to Michael's and you can use uh, some Liquitex paints or Golden makes paints as well. Um, but the point being, you shouldn't feel pigeonholed into you know only using Games Workshop paints. Uh, they're they're you know pretty expensive for uh, per like unit of volume. Um, whereas like Army Painter, which is probably the you know second largest and well known uh, after Games Workshop. Um, is cheaper. Um, some people have preferences for different types of paint. I, I'm partial towards Scale 75 because they're really matte finished. Um, but, you know, that's preference. You can also varnish your models to make them matte or satin or whatever, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, you know, don't feel don't feel like you have to buy Games Workshop paints. It is convenient because you know all their guides are done with their paints. So, and they you know they have they like to order things like you got you got your base paint, you got your middle paint, and you got your highlight paint. So it's pretty simple um, to follow along. But you can have a lot of fun when you when you start having to like mix your own paints and explore different color ranges. So that's my two cents for today. Excellent. Thank you, Stephen. Matt, lore of the lore of the corner. Corner lore. Corner. Hey, Curtis. <clears throat> I didn't want to do this because I like that you uh, sometimes live in your own space, but you also made it so that I lost the competition. And I thought that might be the case, which is why I prepared today's... Do you see what it says there, Curtis? I do. Yeah. 
Yerik is dead. <laughs> so in the new in the new guard codex, there's a page dedicated to Sebastian Yerik, who has passed from this world and is gone. So he didn't his, his model Sebastian? <laughs> yeah, that's the claw. It's a reference. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? No, it's not, but that would be pretty great. <laughs> Um, it is now. <laughs> yeah. But yes, Yarek was killed, possibly by Angron. Unconfirmed. But Yarek is no more. The model will not be updated. The character has died. To be fair, I think in the lore, he was like 300 years old or something at that point. <laughs> so, Works for a lot Space of... Marines, a little harder with normal dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny because all the guard players are like, no, and then all the Tau players with their things like Tau can get up to 75 years of age or something are all like yes, focus on the guard don't look over at our favorite characters <laughs> um but uh yes Yerik is dead and that's the lore for the day um I was going to talk about how I a comment of mine made it to the top of uh, a 40k subreddit but uh, I'll just summarize that. And please, please, if you're listening to this, stop putting hentai 40k out there. Nobody wants to see femme primarchs. All right, we just don't. It's unnecessary. It's weird. Just stop. God. That's it. <laughs> uh, I'm actually not too surprised Eric is dead. Um, like he was an old dude already, and and I guess kind of where i stand now i i don't know if steven kind of gave my that model an update but i let my mom paint that model back in 2002 and so yarek was in rough shape already um, so i guess i i'm slightly to blame there but that's that's too bad poor Yerick. uh let's go to mike the competitive corner yeah, so I thought, um, like I said, I like to talk about this building and stuff like that. And one thing that a lot of people may struggle with, especially when you're comparing what you get in a box of Space Marines to when you're building your list out, it's like, what do I actually do with all these extra weapon bits? Like, how should I kit out my squad of 10 dudes? Um, and so, you know, just kind of the advice I, I've always kind of taken to heart is, in most cases, there are some exceptions I can think of, but in most cases, you kind of just want to kit them out as whatever you most of the most efficient way to output damage and stay alive. Um, and so a lot of times that does not mean mix and match. Um, I, I today wouldn't, I probably wouldn't take a special weapon, even if possible in a lot of especially space Marine armies. Um, as far as my troops go, I would rather maximize that efficiency in a different squad. Um, a good example is Eldar. Um, their normal troops, guardians can take a weapons platform. And sometimes it's a cheap way to get a couple extra LAS cannon equivalent shots, um, little anti-take shots. But at the end of the day, I can save those points and put them onto something that's going to probably have a better shot of actually doing damage and staying alive. Um, especially because the purpose of troops usually is to sit on an objective and score you points. So maximize the efficiency of your troops. Um, don't stress too much about diversifying their capabilities. The one exception I can think of off the top of my head would be Dark Eldar, because their Melta pistols are super good. Um, so take two of those in every squad and put them in a boat where you can shoot out of so they're safe and do that. But every other time, generally speaking, 
it's better to just maximize your efficiency and kind of that role as holding an objective than super, super killing. All right, excellent. Thank you, Mike. And now we go into my wild guess of the day. And I, I honestly don't think y'all will have an answer for this one. Um, we'll see. So obviously orcs exist in many different types of fictional worlds. Um, you know, they seem to be trends throughout. And I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, why is everyone waving at me? So <laughs> we're waving at each other because Stephen, <laughs> I think Stephen's going to take this one. <laughs> um, I watched in the beginning of this episode. I mentioned I watched uh, Lord of the Rings this weekend, just the first two so far, and quite a few times, especially in the, the two towers, they're showing these orcs being born out of uh, the kind of the dungeons under Isgard. Uh, Is the guard? Like, that's one thing I'm not good at the names, but you know they they, they show the other orcs. Digging in, they grab a knife, and they slash the, you know, the beautiful mucus that surrounds this orc, and he comes out. And he's all upset and angry about his, his um, his birth. So, orcs in the 40k world, how are they born? Are they are they dug and planted and grown just like in Lord of the Rings underground, or they're little, uh, I don't know, orc orc fiestas where you know they get in a group and figure stuff out, it, it, you know, is it, is it a family? Are there, you know, families? Um, is there an answer? I don't know. Um, 40K orcs, give me an answer. Okay, Kurt. So orcs are fungus. Uh, they're basically fungus. So throughout their life, and especially when they die, they're shedding spores continuously. And these spores will land and they'll, you know, they'll land in the right conditions, which is like usually a shady spot, anywhere you would think a normal mushroom might grow. And it'll, you know, take root. And below the surface, like a, basically a cocoon, like a, you know, a sack will form and a an orc will start growing. So they're, you know, it, it's, I can't remember the actual biology term. Um, Asexual. It's asexual reproduction, yes. I don't know if there's any fertilization that happens while there's spores or any of that stuff, so let's just say it's asexual. Um, <laughs> it's not getting yeah. too much into biology. <laughs> yeah, there is, a, there is an excellent, uh, in the, I think it's a third edition codex, I have it, for orcs. There's a page where this this uh, Mars Magos, this tech priest guy, is like, telling you all, their, all how orcs reproduce and stuff. It's really neat. Um, but yeah, their whole species, which is not just orcs, it's the squigs, the you know the red guys that are just oh, yeah. mouths, sentient mouths, um, the snotlings, the little that in the Gretchen, the little mini guys, all those reproduce asexually through like a fungus, um, and so like the orc like environment like ecosystem starts with like squigs, and then the snotling guys, the little smaller than the small guys. And like they start interacting, and then like they prepare the environment for the orcs to get there, because like the orcs eat the squigs, and they use the little guys as labor and stuff. So it's like this whole self-contained ecosystem, and so that's why orcs are really hard to get rid of on planets. Like you gotta like burn them all, so like 
Mike Salamanders would be really good right now, you know, after an orc invasion. Because if you leave, <laughs> you know, if you leave a little spore somewhere in like the jungle, come back in 10 years, you might have an orc war clan that's just like chilling out. So you got to be really thorough. So there's no babies per se. I think they do mature after they hatch and get stronger, but there's no like baby orcs running around. Uh, unfortunately, um, that would be fun. But yeah, that's that's orcs for you. They made me realize how much trust Kurt puts into everyone for this segment because that's twice where we could have just made up some wild stuff and he would have been like, yeah. Um, sure. The whole Matt's whole Horace Heresy intro. I was like, wow, we could have done a lot of crazy stuff with this. And Kurt would have been like, wow, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Was, wow, I can't believe they wrote <laughs> so that. So, anyways, this is where the DeLorean <laughs> comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Or everyone we've so, been talking about the horse heresy, it's actually a bunch of orcs fighting each other. Everyone's just <laughs> and, and, oh, that's what I was hoping for. Actually, we should should auto corrected to what my phone keeps saying. So, t- on today's episode of Horsey Hearsay, um, hearsay. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, just no thanks for your trust. <laughs> we'll never steer you wrong, and neither would Kevin Bacon at the head of the Emperor's children because he was definitely there. No, I, I trust y'all. Um, decided to uh, take me on a tangent someday. I would hope it would be pretty intricate, but I, I, I think there, you would have a choice and um, or an attempt to, to, to misguide me. I think you could. Um, but Stephen, I just want to say that was impressively intricate. I did not think that you would actually have an answer like that for me. That they are. Oh yeah. Asexual fungal reproduct reproductions going on there. Yeah, um, and they were wow. they were created by uh, the old ones. So they were, yeah. It's even more complicated if you want to get into it. But maybe that's <laughs> for another day. We'll do yes, an episode yes, we'll on, on like conspiracy theories and such. Oh, can we wear Ooh. tinfoil hats? Uh, it'll be required. I'm gonna get. One. I don't know if we'll be able to communicate through the internet with those on. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna use 5g duh we'll have to meet in a cabin in a mountain in montana to be safe <laughs> all right well let's end it there with the fungal reproductions in the tent hats thank you everyone for <laughs> joining us um for episode 13 i hope you learned about horus heresy just as much as i did but that would be tough considering how much I knew going into it. So I think I won by learning the most. Um, please like us, subscribe. If you're able to give us five stars somewhere, that'd be great. I don't know where you're going to give us five stars, but it'd be great. Um, on Spotify. On, can you rank people with stars on Spotify? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, give us five stars <laughs> on Spotify. I'm going to go do that to ourselves right now. Um, so please join me. Quick, everyone to your phones. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, thanks for listening then. Bye. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.